This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Hope you're having a great Tuesday afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program, as you know, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, life questions, pretty much anything and everything that's on your heart. You're the missing ingredient. We need you to call 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel uh, of San Antonio mobile app. And hey, we're getting a little low on questions. So if you've got questions and you don't want to call, send them in. Uh, If you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. There you can hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you can be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Don't have a lot to talk about today. It's just a Tuesday. So I'll get right to the questions. I'm going to start off with a couple of questions. As I mentioned yesterday, As I mentioned yesterday, uh, we're going to be opening um, uh, in compliance with uh, Governor Abbott's uh, new executive order on Friday, May 1st. We normally have Friday night services anyway, so we are going to be uh, opening Friday night. Uh, and we will also be meeting Sunday, of course, all three of our services on Sunday. Uh, people are still more than welcome to watch them online. We have a really, really large live stream audience. Uh, and there are going to be people who are going to be a little more comfortable uh, watching online for a while. That's fine. We just want to be available for the people that want to come. And I've got a couple of questions that were sent in that I want to deal with. I'll, I'll answer them together. Um, um, one is from our mobile app from Johanna. Uh, how do we do the kids? They also love to hug and put stuff in their mouth. Um, Johanna, I'm going to be dealing with these things at length tomorrow before I actually get into my Bible study in Genesis uh, 6 and 7. Um, but, um, you know, what I hope, and, and I can only hope, these are not my kids. I love them like they're my kids. But, um, uh, you know, I don't want the kids to, to I, I hope they wouldn't notice a difference. I want them to act like kids. Kids are healthy. Kids are strong. Uh, this virus isn't affecting children. It's not affecting young people, uh, typically. 
And, um, you know, we're going to do everything that we can to make the environment safe for them. We're going to be disinfecting, of course, between services. We're going to be watching the kids, as we always do, to make sure they don't put stuff in their mouth. Uh, But um, I I want them to be kids. As you know, Johanna, I've always wanted church to be a fun place for kids. I remember as a kid myself, in fact, my grandmother is the only one who ever dragged me to church. She'd make me go sometimes, and 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 it was just horrible. It was horrible. It had this dank smell. It, 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 the, the preacher was like 200 years old. I laugh now because I'm that 200-year-old preacher to some of these kids. Um, but it was just one of those things where it was just so awkward. You had to speak in hushed tones. Uh, as you know, that's not the way it's ever been here at Calvary Chapel. We want our kids to be able to say church was fun. We want our kids not to be able to wait to come back the next day. Now, it's fun. We're teaching them the word. But this is a place where they know their love. This is a place where they deal with consistency of role models. So these are things that that go with what we're doing. Um, but we want them to have fun. And you know what? The kids are going to hug each other. The kids are going to play. And I think it would defeat the purpose if we tried to to keep them so far apart that they couldn't do it. I think they've been quarantined long enough. Again, we are going to comply with the governor's directive, and we're going to do that to the letter of the law. So we want to be really, really careful about that. But we can't do more than we can. Now, Trish asked another question from our email inbox. And, and it deals some with the kids, but, but a couple of other things as well. Uh, Pastor Ron, will you be checking temperatures at the door like other places are doing? How do you plan to keep the children apart, socially distant, in the small classroom? Um, then she says, I'm planning to be there to serve. I'm looking forward to gathering again. Thank you for all that you do. I've been enjoying the radio show in the afternoon as a great break in my day. Trish, thank you very, very much. Uh, Trish, we are not to be checking everybody's temperature. Now, we're going to check the temperatures of all the servants, the people that come in. Um, that's part of serving. Uh, but you know what? I, I have a problem with making people do things. I'm not their father. Um, you know, I think at times the government is is overstepping. Um, um, and yet they do it. We'll do what they tell us to do. But uh, we will be checking the temperatures. We don't. We're going to tell people if they're sick, don't come. Uh, if they're uncomfortable, don't come. And we're going to be checking temperatures of all of the servants. That's one of the conditions of serving. But whether or not people, as they come into the church, want their temperatures taken or not, uh, that's going to be between them. Our ushers are going to have the temps or the thermometers, and uh, we'll be able to do that. Uh, we have been doing that all along during the, the hiatus. Um, you know, we've, we've only had 10 or less people in the, in the church uh, since the quarantine started. Um, but um, we've been checking temps. We just want to be sure that we're doing all that we can. The church has been disinfected. Uh, we'll continue to do that on a, on a weekly basis after people are in. Uh, So that now, how do we plan to keep the children apart in the small classrooms? You know, the governor's order does not does not. I want to emphasize that deal with children's ministry at all. 
we have the freedom to conduct children's ministry the way we've always been doing it. Now, the teachers are going to be there. Uh, as you know, we've got uh, committed people. Trish, you seem to be one of them. Um, and, and we're going to do the best that we can. Uh, but you're right, we have a small facility, and it's not going to be possible to keep them um, six feet apart. It's just not going to be possible. So if parents are uncomfortable with that, then they can continue to watch online until there is a time when they are more comfortable. I, I think it's important that we gather together as soon as we can, and that's what the governor said as well. So that's what we're going to do in the sanctuary. Trish, you didn't ask this, but just so everybody knows, um, uh, the requirements of this new executive order is that we um, keep family units. They can sit together in the sanctuary, but there needs to be two seats, two chairs of separation between them and the next people, the next family unit. We're going to do that. There's also a requirement that, that every other row uh, is taken out so that there's at least a row space between people. Now, we've come up with a way, I think, that will make it easy to see which rows are not available to be sat in and will reinforce the idea that we are going to comply with the governor's order. Uh, but um, uh, we're, we're going to do the best that we can. And um, that's all we can do. Um, I ask that people are gracious Um as you know, we've got really, really committed, loving people here to do it. So, Trish, that's the best I can answer your question. Thank you for being available to return and serve. That's another thing, and I think all the churches ought to be doing this if they're not. Uh, but we're not requiring that even the servants come. If, if, uh, if they're unable, if they're uncomfortable, we don't want anybody coming if they're uncomfortable. We understand that, and if they're not feeling secure, then then that's okay. And with no guilt trips, no uh, gee, I thought you had faith kind of comments. No, if they're if they're uncomfortable in coming, we're also going to uh, ask that those who are in high risk categories refrain from coming for a while. We're eventually going to figure out a way to have a um, a service where we can get the high risk people in. Uh, we're still trying to talk through how to do that. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to take a real dry run through this this weekend, and then I'm sure next week we'll have a meeting and figure out all the things we did right and all the things that we did wrong and correct them. But we want to make it comfortable for people. We we want them to be able to come and hear the Spirit of God speak to them through the teaching of the Word. So those are the things that we're going to do, uh, Trish and Johanna, and that is, I think, the very best that we can do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. How are you doing? I'm I'm alive and well. And you? <laughs> well, I'm alive and doing pretty good. Okay. Well, you know, I I I got very disturbed uh, watching the tube. The boob tube, uh, and uh, it was it was uh, in reference to these these people that say, "Well, I'm going to raise a hundred million dollars for this and that, and so on and so forth," and 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 it just flashed in my mind the the picture I had of. 
all the rotting tomatoes and potatoes and mm-hmm. all of that because that was all going to waste because there was no way to get it to the people. And then and then it flashed in my mind also uh, that that you know the the. Uh, Oh, golly, gee whiz, the the lines of people that were waiting for free food in San Antonio, even. Yeah. And there were six or seven lines across, and, you know, I don't know how deep it was, but, and they were turned away because they couldn't get anything, and it all gone. And, and I'm just wondering, what in the world are these you know, mega, mega people thinking, and and I'm not, and I'm, excuse me for, you know, being kind of irate about it, but what is wrong with them that they don't even acknowledge that they could do something for for small people as opposed to, you know, ex- <laughs> exalting their own self of how much, they could do. I just. I don't know. It just. Yeah. It just. I had. I had so much of it up to my ears. I. I just couldn't do it. And I called before the show even opened, and I've been waiting for 15 <laughs> minutes to get that off my chest. And I hope you would. You would be able to use your weight with, because you're. You know. You. You. You've got. You've got a quite of a, a following. Uh, you know. I mean. You're. I'll do my best, Ray. Thanks a lot, and I appreciate your frustration. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we have to realize about crises is that they always bring out both the best and the worst in people. Um, you know, the world throws money at problems. We've got all these people with all this money. Uh, money didn't solve problems. We know only Jesus can. Uh, the only thing that you said, and I'm, I'll, I'll get more into it, Ray, but the, the thing that you said that is, is a little bit of a concern for me when I, when I hear it from Christians, is there something we can do besides praying? Uh, and I think sometimes we diminish the value of prayer. I think sometimes we think we're not doing enough just by praying. You know, the world says, oh, your thoughts and prayers don't mean anything. But we who are believers know that that's the most important thing, the most powerful thing that we can do. The problem is that we like to see immediate results. And the truth is, there simply isn't going to be an immediate solution for this. Now, we have so, and when I say we, it's a collective we. You didn't make the decisions, Ray, and I didn't make the decisions. But it's a collective we. Because of fear, we have so decimated the ability of this economy to provide. And if you remember, before this all started, this was the best economy that we've had in probably our nation's history. In fact, the economy was so good that it appeared that our president, regardless of your feelings about him, this isn't a political statement nor an endorsement, but it appeared that his reelection was an absolute cinch. And then this comes on because of fear. Everybody panics. 
It's like all of these leaders and all of the media, they're like chicken littles. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And pretty soon they shut down the, the, the most thriving economy in our nation's history. And there is going to be vast repercussions. The meat supply that's in the news now is going to be interrupted for months. The farmers, as you suggested, they're, they're watching their product go to waste. It's, it's waste the government is paying for, subsidizing. But all of that healthy food is being wasted. One of the things that I admire the governor of New York for, and I'm not typically a fan, but... But he said to see the people in his city who needed food and to see all of that food being wasted, he said, you know, we met the next day and we decided that we're going to do something about it. Um, We need to get used to this. We need to get used to this. Praise God, I have food in my refrigerator. Uh, We're not going to go hungry, at least as it appears now. But there are a lot of people who are really, really hurting. And we've created an environment, and I'm I'm not prone to making political statements here, but we've created an environment where people are dependent on the government in times like this. And then when we get out of this time, they're going to be even more dependent on the government. We need to pray. We need to pray. And here's what you can do, Ray. Here's what I can do. When we have an opportunity, when somebody comes along our path, we can be the Good Samaritan. We can feed people. We can give them a few bucks. We can pray for them. We can tell them about Jesus. And God will use you to minister to others. But there's simply no value in sitting at home and getting angry. There's no value in, in, in uh, throwing metaphorical rocks at our leadership. All we can do is take the people before the Lord and do what we can when the opportunity presents itself. One other thought on this, Ray, and this isn't for you as much as it is for the audience. I think there's times when we, as Christians, because our hearts are right, but we try to take on too much. And the truth is, these are problems that we can't solve. I have no answer for coronavirus. I have no answer for an absolutely devastated economy. I have no answer for somebody who's hurting. You know, we've seen so many people who have lost loved ones who didn't get a chance to say goodbye to them during this crisis because they couldn't go into the hospital or to the nursing homes. There's nothing we can do to change that. But here's what we can do. The next time we see a need, and if we have the ability to care for that need, we can do it. We who are Christians, we need to be mindful to be generous to others. You know, Paul and I have continued to go out to eat um, a couple times a week at this the breakfast place that we go to all the time. And we want to be sure that we're tape, tipping super generously, even though they're not actually serving us, it's takeout. But we want him to know. We care about him. We've developed relationships with these people over the nearly 20 years that we've been going there. And you know what? We can look in their eyes and we can say, how are you doing? 
and we can give them a tip that's three, four, five, six times more than we would normally give. We can tell them, thank you for working. And in that way, we can take care of the people that come along our path. And there's nothing more that we're asked by God to do. Ray, one other thing that you can do is pray for the leaders who are making these terrible decisions, fostering fear. And pray that we who are Christians won't fall prey to that fear. Thank you, Ray, and I appreciate you getting that off your chest. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, here is a question from Nehemiah. He said, is Jesus coming back twice or once? Um, Nehemiah, Jesus is coming back one time. He's coming back. Uh, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. That's when he's coming back uh, to to judge the world. Um, there's no more succinct way to put it. He's coming back for judgment. He's going to cleanse this world. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to put an end to the evil. Now, your question, I'm assuming, is the, the rapture of the church. So he's coming back once in Revelation 19, but before that happens, Nehemiah, he's going to come for us, but he's not coming to the earth. In Revelation 19, he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's a great earthquake. The city, the holy city is divided, um, but, but not so. In the rapture of the church, Jesus is going to call us, and instead of him coming to us, we're going to go be with him. We're going to be caught up in the air together with the Lord, and we're going to be with him forever. And that's a time when we're going to be at the wedding banquet of the, of the Lord. It's our wedding supper. We're going to be the guests of honors. It's, it's where we're going to hear our new names. It's where we're going to receive our rewards. It's going to be the most magnificent thing that we can imagine. But remember, he's coming to meet us in the air. He's not coming to earth. And then he's going to take us, John 14, he's going to take us to be with him where he is. So seven years uh, before the very end, Jesus is going to sound the trumpet. Not a literal trumpet, but it's a, a, a metaphor. It's, it's a, the call to readiness. He's going to call us to come up and be with him. And he's going to meet us in the air, and then we're going to be led in his train into that wedding banquet. And Nehemiah, uh, I think that's going to happen soon. I think Jesus is coming back. I think that's why Christians, we truly need to be focused on the mission that he's given us in these last days. I'm inside three minutes, so rather than ask another question, let me just share my heart with you. Ray got something off his heart. Let me get something off mine. You know, um, we're really excited. Our people are really excited about coming back to church. But I want everybody to know, wherever you go to church, if you come back to church and just fall back into the old patterns, the old habits, you're missing the point of this. I want every Christian who can hear my voice know, every single one of us, to be so committed that we come back with one, one thought, Jesus, what about me and what about now? 
I want us to be so grateful for the opportunity to minister. I'm frankly, on Sunday this week, I'm going to have a hard time because when our worship team is playing, now they've been playing for me and for Paula and for our sound crew and stuff during this quarantine, but when you get the voices of all of the people in the body together again, and those voices are raised in worship to God, it's going to be a very, very emotional time for me. And I don't want it just to be emotion. I want it to be accompanied by commitment. I want us to be about our Father's business. Because in these last days, the very last of the last days, our job is to tell people about Jesus. Now, we can't tell people about Jesus if we're not living committed, fully committed to Him. We simply won't do it. So we need every day to be completely dependent on the Spirit of God. And if we'll do that, if we'll be committed to following the Holy Spirit, and I don't mean for our own entertainment, I mean, remember, we're men and women on a mission in these last days. Then I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is going to use us, and I mean Christians, not just Calvary Chapel, but he's going to use us to save the people we've been praying for in sort of a, a last-minute harvest before he comes for his church. So, Nehemiah, when people come back, we need to come back on a mission from God. Hey, 340-9585, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9ASLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. I'd invite any of you, if you have any thoughts or concerns about uh, getting back together in church, not just our church, but your church, um, uh, perhaps we can help, um, but... Um, Looks like we get to come back to church this week. Let's take a call or a question from Robin. Uh, and this doesn't say Robin, boy or girl, male or female, so I'm going to assume it's um, a, a man. Um, Pastor Ron, what can you tell me about the John MacArthur, Beth Moore controversy? Who is right? Um, Robin, I can't tell you a bunch. I, I, I get tired of the nonsense and the bickering back and forth sometimes between... Churches, you know, John MacArthur uh, has been uh, a, a person of impact in my life. Uh, he's from uh, Southern California. Um, I, uh, I got saved in Southern California. Uh, I read everything I could get my hands on by him, listened to him preach both in person and on the radio. Uh, and uh, you know what? He, he actually has no bone in this controversy. Um, what I can tell you is that Beth Moore, 
uh, is a Southern Baptist, and she is doing the best that she can to uh, give women preachers slash pastors a platform in the Southern Baptist Convention, a convention that is absolutely committed to keeping women out of the pulpit. Now, I, I just did this Bible study in First Timothy chapter 2 uh, this past Sunday. Women cannot be pastors. God makes the rules. It's not that women are uh, not capable. It's not that men are more spiritual. It's not that men are better leaders. None of that matters. What matters is that the church belongs to God. God makes the rules. We as Christians who call him Lord have to follow the rules. And the truth is we don't. Now, Beth Moore has been a very popular author and speaker, um, especially to women, for a long time. And she has decided with a few allies in the Southern Baptist Conference that that uh, she is going to elevate the role of women in the church and she's going to be the figurehead. Um, John MacArthur was asked about it at a, uh, a conference that he was teaching in, in a Q&A. And he said that uh, uh, Beth Moore ought to go back home and be under submission to her husband or something along those lines. And that just stirred up a firestorm. And they've been snipping at each other for a while. It is, it is conduct very unbecoming of Christians. Um, John MacArthur is not a Southern Baptist, and uh, he needs to stay out of the controversy. Uh, Beth Moore, who is a Southern Baptist, needs as a Bible teacher to do what the Bible says. That's all I can tell you about the whole thing. Uh, this is not going to go away, however, Robin, uh, because um, we want what we want more than we want what God wants. So that's the best I can do about it. This has now been going on uh, for some months. Um, and like I said, there's no sign of it letting up. Here is our next question. It's anonymous. Um, Pastor Ron, why do you think so many Christians are fearful during this pandemic? Is their faith weak? Um, anonymous, no, their faith isn't weak. Now, let's, let's, I, I want to be really, really blunt here. Um, when we deal with our health, it is a fearful thing. I want to say that again. When we deal with our health, it is a fearful thing. Uh, two and a half, three years ago, I went through a, a crisis with my heart. Most of you uh, who've been listening for a length of time are familiar with that. And it was fearful. And I remember uh, in the hospital with Paula sitting there. And I said, Paula, don't let me embarrass Jesus. Don't let me embarrass you. I need to remember that I'm a Christian even now, even though I am now afraid. And, and the, the idea is it's naive to pretend fear doesn't exist. Because it does. Not only that, but there's an enemy sort of stoking that fire all the time. He wants our witness to be compromised. So the question is, what do we do with our fear? And I think the faithful Christian is going to take that fear and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I'm yours. You've got me. You know I have a mission. You know the number of days that I have. And, and I want to use every one of those days serving you with my whole heart. And to do that, we've got to say no to our fear. Jesus, you handle the fear. That way, the power of the Holy Spirit can then come and take over. 
And it doesn't mean that we're not afraid. The, the fact that we're afraid doesn't mean our faith is weak. Often, fear is a healthy thing. But for the Christian Anonymous, what we need to do is continually lay that fear down. And here's where I think a lot of the church is missing out. We keep bombarding ourselves with the news that comes in with all of the, I called them chicken littles earlier. We listen to all of the stories, you know, all these thousands and thousands of people are dying. You know, the truth is most of those people are not dying because of this virus. They're dying because they've got all kinds of other things. You know, in our city, um, we have, and I'm going to try to remember the best I can, it may be off a little bit, but there was 38 or 39 deaths that were attributed to coronavirus. 19 of those deaths were in one nursing home where people were in horrible physical condition and the virus just sped up the process a little bit. I've done a ministry in nursing homes and people die there quickly. They deteriorate very quickly, especially if they're cut off from their loved ones. So this virus didn't do that. So the idea is we're listening to all this and we're being afraid. And here's one of the real tragedies, Anonymous. We're finding that in crises like this one, a whole bunch of people who thought their faith was solid are finding out that their faith isn't as solid as they thought. And I think we've got to teach in our churches how to deal with fear. Bad things happen to everybody. So what do we do? What do we do? I just got a, and, and I'll ask everybody to pray for him, but I just got a, a bullet, and somebody knows that I'm a fan of Ravi Zacharias. Um, Ravi was just diagnosed with, with cancer of the sacrum. It was discovered during an emergency back surgery. He's always had back problems. And there's a cancer that they're going to have to wait to deal with until he recovers from the back surgery. But he's 73 years old. He's got cancer. Now, and I mean this in the nicest way. I, I'm a big fan of Ravi Zacharias. But now he's going to find out if his faith is real. You see, head knowledge doesn't help you. This is a matter of faith. And how we respond in times like this is going to be determined by the the relative strength of our faith. And Anonymous... Um, I think we're finding out that a lot of people are not on as solid a foundation in terms of their faith as they thought they were. As long as things were going great, no problem. But now there's fear. Now there's other considerations. And what they do with that faith and what they do with that fear is going to be sort of what measures them as faithful Christians. Don't think that being afraid is a sign of weak faith. Faith is the antidote to fear. That's when we have to believe, when we have to trust. I'm speaking, of course, from the Word of God, but I'm also sharing my heart with you uh, experientially because I had to go through that very thing, and I think I did okay, but 
one thing for Jesus to say, do not be afraid. Truth is, we're going to be afraid. But it's always what we do with that fear that matters the most. Here is a question from Seth. He says, what does it really mean that God loves a cheerful giver? We give because we should. But it's not always a cheerful thing to take hard-earned money and give it away. Well, Seth, props for your honesty there. Um, What God means by saying, I love a cheerful giver, is that he loves somebody who realizes that everything God has uh, given us belongs back to God. You know, God has given you the talent to make money. He's given you the opportunity to make money. And what he wants us as New Testament Christians to understand is that all of our money belongs to him. Not just our, our money, but our time and our talent. But it belongs to him. And so when we can cheerfully say, Lord, look what you've blessed me with. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? God loves that. Because that's a person that understands. Let me give you an example. Jesus, with his disciples, was by the temple treasury. And they were overlooking all of the people, many of them wealthy, that lined up to give large amounts into the temple treasury. And Jesus didn't care about any of those other people. He focused in on one poor widow who had just two mites, less than, less than a penny total. And she put in, and Jesus said, no, I tell you, and I'm going to use your term here, She's the cheerful giver. All of these other people Jesus said he put in, they put in out of their wealth. This woman put in all that she had. And Seth, there's nothing that pleases the Lord more than when we demonstrate faith. And there's nothing more faithful than saying, Jesus, everything I have is yours. Now, what do you want me to do with it? And we can't outgive God. Remember, this isn't give to get. We can't outgive God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. What things? All the things that you need, all the things that you worry about, all these other things will be added unto you. So that's what it means. God doesn't really love... Uh, he, let me rephrase. He loves stingy people, but he doesn't like their stinginess. A generous man will himself be blessed by God, we're told in Proverbs. So he wants you to be generous because he's generous and he gave you all that stuff, so what do you want to do? Now, when you say you give, but it's not always cheerful, what you need to do with that, Seth, is is tell the Lord, I'm sorry for not being more cheerful about this. I mean, he understands your problems, he understands your heart, so you can say, but we have needs and we have bills and to give money to the church when we have these other needs is not always a cheerful thing and let the Lord sort of minister to your heart Seth because what he will say is it's not your money it's mine let me use what is mine through you and bless you as a result again it's not a give to get motive is everything but God loves a cheerful giver and the reason he loves a cheerful giver is because he was a cheerful giver for God so loved the world that he gave is one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Seth, let me say one other thing. If you cannot give cheerfully, there's no reward for giving. If you cannot give cheerfully, there's no reward for giving. So don't bother. Don't bother. 
340-9585. Here is a question from Matt. Uh, he said, uh, why did God choose circumcision as a sign for his covenant? Now, obviously, that's a sign uh, with Abraham of his covenant and then uh, with Jews from, from Abraham forward. And uh, the answer, I hope, is obvious to you, Matt. Um, um, circumcision is a painful cutting away of the flesh. Remember the stories when Abraham was circumcised, he was an adult. When Abraham's family, when his sons were circumcised, they were adults. There were armies that marched through the wilderness who before they could go into Canaan and fight the battles under Joshua, they had to stay on the other side of the the Jordan River to be circumcised. And then they had to heal. Why? Because it was really, really painful. And circumcision a sign between God and his people Israel that they were a special people marked out. Circumcision was not normal in the ancient world. In fact, only Egyptians that I'm aware of practiced it, but for different reasons. Uh, And it was considered barbaric. So what God did was say, I want you to cut away the flesh. Now, obviously, the picture God was painting was for you, Matt, and it was for me. When we're told as new believers to surrender our hearts to him, to ask forgiveness for our sins and make a commitment to pursuing holy living, we've got to cut away our flesh and it's painful. Sometimes, man, it's people that we have to cut out of our lives because they lead us into trouble. Bad company corrupts good character, Paul says. Old friends, family members, that do not mean us well. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, sometimes those hindrances are our relationships. Other times, sin is fun. So there are relationships that we have to cut out, sexual relationships. There's there's uh, anger. There's unforgiveness. There's um, sexual immorality. There's drunkenness, drugs we got to cut those things away, and sometimes that's painful. And so um, our sign of the covenant is circumcision, not of the man parts, but of the heart. And God is asking us to make that same commitment. Because when we do, and we do it for him, he is so pleased. And that's why he chose it. Remember, his people were to be set apart. Israel was to be set apart to be different than all the pagan peoples. That was what happened at birth. Eight days into life. But it was something that they needed to continue practicing for the rest of their lives, and certainly for you, Matt, and for me. We have to keep saying no to our flesh every single day. Painful. Let me tell a quick story. We don't have anybody on the phone. Um, I was in a car wreck many, many, many years ago uh, in college. Um, and um, uh, it was a pretty bad wreck. And I was in the hospital for five days. And the guy in the room with me, um, nice guy, but he was in there for a medically necessary circumcision as an adult. It's probably in his mid-20s. I've never heard anybody hurt like that in all my life. 
I mean moaning and pain and groaning and crying day after day after day. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't do anything. That cutting away the flesh hurt. Well, in the same way that cutting away the flesh hurts us when we willingly cut away that which causes us to stumble. Here is a question about the rapture from Danny. He says, is the rapture pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, or pre-wrath? Danny, um, there there are three theories about the timing of the rapture. Um, I am utterly convinced that it is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We have not been appointed unto wrath, but we've been appointed for salvation. And um, God's nature is such that it's impossible for him to pour out his wrath on the people that that he loves. Jesus already took the wrath of God for us. That means the rapture has to be before the Great Tribulation. Those who insist on post-trib or the middle of the roaders, the pre-wrath people, and their position is that it comes at the halfway point of the Great Tribulation. Um, they need to understand, they need to study the nature and the character of God a little bit better. Let's go to a phone call. We've got Federico, our friend on line one. Federico, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, I, I, I have been meditating on the word conscience because I was thinking of First Corinthians seven fourteen, where it says, if my people would humble themselves and seek me and pray and repent, and I was thinking, when was that time that I humbled myself? And then I thought, when I was, I uh, perceived that I was wrong. And that came where my conscience, because before then, people would tell me, you have no conscience. And then it, it struck me that before I humbled myself, my conscience was awakening of my wrongdoing. And I remember the scripture of the prodigal son that he came to his senses on that thick pen. His senses, his, his, his realization that he was wrong. And then I've been meditating on and researching the word conscience. And I found one in First Timothy 4.2 where it says that the conscience is seared. It was dead. I had no perception of, of what and then another scripture came to mind what I what was evil I called good and what was good I called evil and I, I want your take I want to take on, on what your take on unconscious our conscious when our okay. conscience awakens to to our wrongdoing to our wickedness you know, you know, Federico. When when that happens, I mean, that has to happen before we get saved. Uh, the right, one thing right. that is an absolute requirement for us to to meet Jesus is we've got to come to the end of ourselves. We've got to realize that that I'm the the sinner. Lord, save me, a sinner. And uh, Romans chapter one is the best passage on conscience. Um, w- w- Paul talks about um, being given over. Because of our hard hearts and, and our, our seared consciences were given over uh, to the hardness of, of a heart. 
And God's gift to us is a conscience. It sort of acts as a governor. Um, Federico, many years ago when we uh, were moving, Paul and I and the, our two little boys at the time were moving from, from uh, California to Arizona, we got this uh, big U-Haul truck. And it had a governor. I didn't know what a governor was. I'm not very mechanical. We didn't know what a governor was. And no matter how much I stepped on it, it wouldn't go more than 50 miles an hour. The engine would be racing, wouldn't go more than 50 miles an hour. Well, it was to protect us from going too fast. Well, our conscience is used by God to protect us from going too far away from him. And it's that that awakening that's only a function of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, and begins to convict us of sin and of righteousness and judgment, suddenly the things that we used to do that didn't bother us at all, we're doing them now and it bothers us. And the, the, the reason is because the Spirit has sort of pricked our conscience and our conscience then is used to lead us to the existence of God and an awareness of how far short uh, we fall and how needful we are of God in our lives. And then the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. But we've got to change. I tell people all the time, you can come to Jesus just the way you are, but you can't intend to stay there. You can come to Jesus no matter what you've done, and he will accept you. But you've got to own your sin. You've got to confess it. And then you've got to ask for forgiveness. And I tell our church here all the time, Federico, that when somebody meets Jesus, they necessarily, if they've really met him, they have to change. And that's what the conscience does. The conscience warns us of danger. It's a wonderful gift from God. The conscience warns us that we're in trouble, that we're on the wrong path, and gives us the opportunity to, to, to be redirected to the right path. So I'm with you. That's a wonderful study. Um, I would also add, uh, you mentioned the, the, the Isaiah 5 passage. Uh, where we, evil is called good and good is called evil. And I think you said First Corinthians 7, but it's actually First Chronicles 7.14, where if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. And the idea is God is always looking for men and women whose consciences are responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, then we can be introduced by the Holy Spirit to Jesus, then we can be transformed, but not a moment before. Does that make sense? Happened to me 15 years ago. The conversations at the bar, what I was doing started bothering me. That's that's the (laughs) word you use. It started bothering me. (laughs) And and the people I hung around started bothering me. The same conversations that I used to get into, uh, I found uh, horrible. I found, man, that's and I started getting away from it, and then started going to church, and I started surrounding myself with good, godly people, and I started studying the Word. I started in the prayers. I started in the praise and word. I started in the Feder- witnessing. Federico, that's when, a, that's when a dead man came to life. To feed That's what spirit. happened. Yep, that's when a dead man came to life. Thank you, Federico. There's the end of the program. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Keep us in prayer. We're kind of going through this reopening process as a lot of churches in the area are going to be. Um, Let's be good citizens at the same time. Let's love on the people of God. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at AM 630, the Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.